0: Welcome to the Season 6 teaser episode of the StoryGrid Editor Roundtable Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better writer, following the StoryGrid method developed by Sean Coyne. Hi, Kim Kessler here. It's currently autumn here in the Northern Hemisphere, which feels like the perfect time for us to be kicking off our next phase of in-depth study. Tis the season to embrace change, which, after all, is what stories are all about. To kick things off, Jari has a special announcement and message to share.
1: Hello everyone, Jari here. Usually before the start of each new season, each of us gives you a sneak peek as to what we're going to be studying for this next season. This time, it's a little different for me. I've decided to leave the round table and pursue some other exciting opportunities. It was a tough decision. I've enjoyed my time talking about stories and watching movies with my fellow story nerds. But as I thought about season six, it became clear to me that I wanted to try something new And I have the opportunity to do just that. I can't really reveal what I'll be doing next. But if you're interested in what I'm up to, you can follow me over at Twitter at The Daily MBA. As a hint, it will have something to do with the stories of the struggles one goes through to create something from nothing. It's been a lot of fun being on the roundtable these past five seasons. I have learned a ton about telling better stories and a lot about myself. I'm thankful to my fellow roundtables for their valuable insights into story. Writing is a magical thing. It's tremendously satisfying to read, watch, or listen to a well-written story that moves you. It's through stories that we learn, grow, and share our gifts with the world. My hope is that all of you listening will continue your magical journey of writing and studying story. I know it can be tough to beat back the resistance to write, and read as much as we want to. Rest assured that all of us have those same challenges and struggles, but like most things, effort matters. And with perfect effort comes slow and steady results. I hope you'll keep in touch and let me know how their journey is going for you. Again, you could do that over at Twitter, at The Daily MBA, or you can go over to my blog, thedailymba.com, and sign up for my newsletter. It's been a wonderful experience to be part of the roundtable. Good luck, Anne, Valerie, Kim, and Leslie. I'm looking forward to my next adventure and continuing to learn how to tell better stories. Thanks for listening and all your support. Until we meet again.
0: Thank you so much, Jari. We are so excited to see what you tackle next. And I can't wait to read your love story memoir. So if you're looking for beta readers, please hit me up. Change is hard, but we know it leads to growth. It's been two years, five seasons, 95 episodes, and 75 films. Holy macaroni. That feels really good to say. We've learned so much about the craft of storytelling by studying films, and it's a great way to understand global structure. But because we're always looking to level up our craft, this season we are going even deeper. We are going to the page. While we will continue to incorporate films into our studies, we will also be analyzing short stories and novels and scenes from novels. As always, this is an adult conversation and you may hear some adult words. So with that, we hope you're ready to dive deep because in season six, we are going all in. Let's talk a little bit about the topics that we're going to be exploring this season. and what do you have on deck for season six?
2: Well, during season five, I was the one who studied novel to film adaptations because I wanted to put a personal emphasis on reading more and examining the novels themselves. There were two reasons for this. One is that I wanted us to break away from our reliance on movies as the structure for studying story structure. Although, as we have said many times, a movie is a fine way to study global story structure, it is not a good way to improve your line-by-line writing or to really become a novelist. And the other reason was I wanted to look at what novels are for. Is there anything that a novel can do that filmed entertainment you know, doesn't do better? Why bother to write novels? Because I write them. I think a lot of our listening audience writes them. All of us write them pretty much, or at least would like to. So do novels still have a place in society? Does anybody even still read? These are all questions that are very much in my mind right now. And if reading is on the decline, which I think statistically it's pretty clear that it is, I've got some links to some studies on that, why should we bother writing for the quote unquote printed page, which also means the screen and the audiobook, but the words only, right? Now, my conclusion on that is subjective and personal. I still think the written word is important and that reading a story is a wonderful experience. All three of my novel selections last season were better than their film adaptations, even when the film was really good, as was the case with um, If Beale Street Could Talk. And I wanted to tell a little anecdote here. On Saturday, I was staffing a table at the Portland Book Festival, which is a great big literary event in downtown Portland. And after I finished, I caught a Lyft ride home. And the driver pulled up, and in the passenger seat was a copy of Robert Jordan's I, th- I want to say The Shadow Rising, th- third or fourth book in the massive fantasy series of Robert Jordan's. And I am currently in the process of rereading that series myself because they're going to make a TV show out of it. And I thought I'd better catch up and refresh my memory. So I got in, he moved the book and I got in, and I said, ooh, Robert Jordan, I'm reading that too. And as we drove on home, we had a lot to talk about. And one of the things he said is, I wonder what the TV show is going to look like, how the characters are going to look, what the landscape is going to look like. I wonder if it'll be anything like what I imagine because movie adaptations almost never meet my imagination that I had while I was reading the book. And that is true for most of us, I think. Leslie and I had a conversation a little bit earlier about the aphantasia, which is the inability to picture things in, in the mind. And some people have that. So picturing things may not be for you know everybody, but for most of us, that is something that we really enjoy about reading a story is picturing it in our minds. And our mental pictures are always more vivid and better and more satisfying to us than the filmmakers or the TV producers' vision might be. So All that said, long lead into the fact that for season six, I'm going to double down on reading, and I'm going to ask everyone to read something, but I'll make it as easy as possible. I'm going to look at short stories. Now, it's a bit of a compromise. They probably don't have the same big three-act structure of a novel or a movie, but on the other hand, I think reading and analyzing one should take us about the same amount of time as watching a movie, uh, and we do that every week. And I hope that some of our listeners will be inspired to return to reading if I give them short enough things to read and to branch out in their reading and try something new. Short stories are a great way to delve into a realm that you might not want to commit to a whole novel for. So I'll choose stories that are readily available, that are contemporary or more or less modern and under 10,000 words. I'll announce all three of my titles in plenty of time for listeners to find them and read them. And what I'm interested in looking at with them is that, do short stories meet the same genre conventions and obligatory scenes the way we expect? I'm thinking probably not. They probably tend to leave out a commandment here and there. I'm thinking some of them might be a little structured, a little more like jokes, with a build up to a punchline. And that's the kind of thing I want to find out.
0: Yeah, that sounds fascinating, Anne. I'm really interested to see the differences between short stories and novels. I do short films which are obviously very different than feature films and I think they are like you said where they do feel like jokes right where it's this it's this build up towards a punchline or towards a revelatory turning point and they they're just more self-contained like a like an expansive scene or something so it'll be really interesting to see how those different things play out
2: Well and I know you're involved in editing an anthology for Storygrid uh- publications that will be coming out pretty soon, an anthology of short stories. And you've been looking pretty closely at this. And I think we need to develop uh, some some material, some database uh, like we have with with movies and story structure, large story structure to accommodate short story writers as well and really pinpoint some of those differences.
0: Yeah, I think that would be Totally helpful. And I know from doing the ground your craft course where we examine short stories and scenes from longer works. And then our homework is to then write a short story. That has been an amazing exercise in like on the ground practice, right? And I love the, you know, we always talk about like the being creative through constraints, right? So the constraints of a short story are very interesting and I find extremely liberating. So anyway, I'm just super jazzed about what you're gonna find.
2: That should be really fun. Now, for everybody else's episodes, whatever form of story you're going to be looking at, I will be continuing my informal study of scene types, which is a tool that seems to be valid for all story types. And my first story that I'm going to ask everyone to read is called Wolves of Karelia by Arna Bontomps-Hemenway, which was published just a few months ago in the Atlantic Monthly. It is a masterpiece of brevity, a Life, A Love and A War in 5000 words and we will analyze it in episode 4 going live on January
0: 8th. Wow, I'm so excited about that. I am too. It's a great story. Brevity uh <laughs> brevity I'm working on that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I where I fall as a writer on the on the brevity to um I don't know what's the opposite of brevity. Verbosity. Verbosity. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> So I'm excited to examine. I mean, it's going to be such a treat to get to look at things at this line level. And there's so many awesome things that, we, that we're that we going to get out of looking at printed works. So one thing I know that's going to be very different, which is what Leslie's going to be talking about. So Leslie, give us a little bit of insight into your topic for Season 6.
3: In the last two seasons, I've focused on action stories, and this season, I'm changing things up to focus on a technical topic, narrative device and point of view. Now, point of view and narrative device combined are a topic that I should have known would be a natural for me. In life generally, I'm fascinated by how things work, and point of view and narrative device together are how you create a particular experience for your reader. When you want to write or tell a story, you start with an idea that includes characters, events, settings, emotions, ideas, etc. A whole bunch of content that you want to share with someone else. You must do something with all that information to share it with someone else. And the business of transmitting what's in your head to the head of someone else is what this topic is all about. Narrative device and point of view create the reader's experience of your story. In my Bite Size episode, I talked about how we can write the same basic story, including the same genre, characters, events, and sometimes even the same controlling idea, but end up with a vastly different reader experience depending on the narrative device and point of view we choose that's because the material is presented through the lens of the narrative device, which we then translate into our point of view choice. So what I mean when I say narrative device is the who, to whom, where, when, how, and why of the story's delivery. More specifically, who is telling the story? To whom is the narrator telling the story? Where does the narrator stand in relation to the events of the story? When does the narrator convey these events in relation to the events? How does the narrating entity or the narrator convey the story to the audience? And why is the narrator conveying the story? Ideally, your point of view choice, first, third, omniscient whatever you like, should make sense in light of and flow from your narrative device. Again, these two decisions combined create your reader's experience with structure, the scenes you include, the order in which you present them, the words you use to convey them. So not only are these vital decisions, but once you make them, they can help you make loads of other decisions about your story. The more thoughtfully you consider these choices, the easier your life will be as you write and revise your story.
0: I am ridiculously excited for us to dig into this topic. All the things that you've been teaching us about it lately have just blown my mind. And so for us to get to look at it with actual words on the page is going to be really, really awesome. I have a feeling that this topic and the work that you do and that we are kind of conjoined with you in doing in season six is really going to crack open a lot of things for people, things that we haven't understood previously and have our own aha moments about them. I know that I struggle sometimes with translating the story out of my head and figuring out which specific words to choose to literally write the story. So. I feel already from being able to listen to you talk about narrative device and point of view has already like really liberated me there. So anyway, I'm just really excited about this and getting some practical tools for figuring out which words to use and that there is a method to it, right? It's not just random, that everything, just like with story structure, narrative device is something that we can plan out and think through and that we should be thinking through
3: exactly and kim i have struggled with this in working on the short story for the anthology so i'm i'm not just seeking to help my own clients i'm trying to figure this out for myself and those decisions are really difficult if you don't have an organizing principle. And so that's what we're really talking about here. And of course, since I am in the business of helping writers write great stories, this feels like a very worthy area of study. So I'll explore all of these elements in my three stories this season, which will be films adapted from written material, and I'll be reviewing the written material as well. I'll look at narrative device and point of view in the stories that my fellow roundtablers choose as well. And just to echo what Anne has mentioned, and we've all been talking about lately, is that movies can be useful for looking at narrative device but not so much for translating that into point of view and the decisions that writers have to make on every page. So studying two different versions of the same or a similar story will also help us identify the experience created by the writers and the filmmakers' choices. My first story is It's a Wonderful Life, which is based on Philip Van Doren Stern's short story, The Greatest Gift. I can't wait to deepen my study of narrative device and point of view and share what I discover in season six. It's a Wonderful Life and The Greatest Gift will be featured in episode one and we'll post it on
0: December 18. I'm so excited that we're watching It's a Wonderful Life and reading the short story, which I didn't realize it was based on a short story. It shouldn't surprise us, right, that these really rich, wonderful stories that we have been turned into film that we love and have stood the test of time, are based on thoughtfully written works. But so it's just fun. It's really fun to explore stories in their different mediums. So Valerie, will you please share with us the awesome topic that you will be digging into in season six?
4: I sure will. So for anyone who's been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I'm writing a psychological thriller. And Look, it's taken me 18 months to crack this foolish story, (laughs) but I finally have. And in the last six weeks, I'm really starting to gain some momentum. So I am just, I feel a little like the cat's meow right now. (laughs) So it's a psychological thriller. And I've been using the stories here on the show as masterworks for various storytelling principles. But there is at least one major concept that I have not yet tackled, and considering how crucial it is to telling a story that works, I thought it was high time that I sink my teeth into the forces of antagonism.
1: No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die.
0: (laughs) And I just want to say, you wrote the Story Grid Masterwork Guide to Dracula. I know that'll be coming out in 2020. But that's all about, I think that was your major takeaway, right? That that's a story about a really great villain, right? And that's really why it stood the test of time. So I'm just curious what you've learned about the forces of antagonism while studying Dracula and then what else you're really looking to understand about it.
4: I think Dracula is one of the, if not the most amazing villains in English literature. There's a few other ones like Humbert Humbert's up there too. (laughs) And I have to reread Lolita which I don't want to do, but I'm going to do it. The, here's the reason I love Dracula so much. Most people today haven't read the novel. So we just know him as a Halloween character, right? But the character in the novel, Stoker's character, has so many dimensions. And even now, 125 years later, we can see him in a very different light than Stoker's contemporary saw him. So I think he's he's amazing. So I'm looking for villains who are like that, with lots of layers to them. So as amazing as Dracula is, he is one type of villain. And forces of antagonism, of course, cover a whole lot of different types of villains, right? Some are internal, some are external and so forth. So I've learned a lot about forces of antagonism from Dracula, but I still have only scratched the surface. So what do forces of antagonism mean? Well, like I said, some of them are obvious external villains, like Lex Luthor is a good one, but this concept of forces of antagonism goes way deeper and broader than that. They are opponents, they're foes, they're adversaries or adversities, enemies, minions, our inner demons our shadow side, and Dracula's our shadow side, right? There's the environment like in The Martian and so much more. I've heard Sean say that the middle bill belongs to the villain and I've also heard that a story is only as good as its villain. After all, it's the villain that gives the hero a chance to be heroic. So if that's the case, and if my novel is going to work, I'd better have a very good handle on who my villain is, and how he or she is going to keep my story moving. Now... Now, I did write a Fundamental Fridays post about the forces of antagonism a while ago, shortly after I became a, a certified story grid editor. And my takeaway then was that, one, this is a really complicated topic, but also that the hero, victim, and villain roles are intrinsically linked. And that is something I hadn't realized when I first started that article. So that means to do this topic justice, I'm going to have to examine the relationship between the antagonist, the protagonist, and any victims. (sighs) It's a big, big topic. And really, it needs its own book. So for this podcast, I'm going to need to narrow my study down to those characters that are similar to the kinds of villains I want to create. Now, I hesitate to say like Dracula, because that's going to conjure up an idea of vampires in people's minds. So I'm not looking just at vampires. But when you read my masterwork guide, you'll know what I'm talking about. (laughs) What I'm talking about is shape-shifting villains, right? This is the first one I'm going to look at. So antagonists who take on multiple roles in a story. We did see this in Black Swan, where the mentors and allies were also forces of antagonism. And I'm seeing this kind of villain a lot in psychological thrillers. And, you know, it makes sense because it adds to the protagonist's mental confusion. How can characters, how can someone like Nina Sayer know who to trust or what to believe if her mentors are also her enemies? So for my first pick this season, I chose the 2014 award-winning film Whiplash, written by Damien Chazelle. Now, I absolutely loathe the villain in this story, so I'm curious to find out how Chazelle managed to evoke such a strong emotional response in
0: me, and that episode will air on New Year's Day. Awesome. That is a film I've never watched, and so I've heard lots of things about it, and so I'm really excited about it, but correct me if I'm wrong, Whiplash is a performance story, right? Yeah,
4: it is. It absolutely is. It's about a drummer in a, a university music school.
0: Okay. The, I, what I love already, right, is just that the first pick is not necessarily even in a genre that we would necessarily think, ooh, villains, right? Right. Like the stakes are not going to be life and death. This isn't a thriller. It's not an action. Like it's not a horror story. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this because I know for myself and my clients, we're writing internally driven stories. So oftentimes, yeah, those forces of antagonism are not overt, right? They're not a Dracula-esque, right? They're going to be inside ourselves and kind of the passive aggressive person in the office and like, I don't know, parents, you know, siblings, those kinds of things. So yeah, that's going to be fascinating. That'll be a lot of fun.
4: Well, and this is, this is the important or one of the important takeaways about this idea of studying masterworks. Yes, you can say, well, if I want to write a story about an 11 year old boy who discovers that he's a wizard, then Harry Potter will be a masterwork for you. However, you can also study a particular aspect of another story to see how that principle is unfolding in the hands of a particular craftsman. So I want to look at how the screenwriter here handled his villain because he's a mentor. Fletcher is a mentor, but he's also a villain and he's he is a nasty piece of work. So while I'm not writing a performance story, so I won't be dealing with any of those, you know, the, the life value that we normally have in a performance story, totally different core event, that kind of stuff. I'm going to be focusing in on Fletcher and his relationship with the protagonist, Andrew, and who the victims are as well in that relationship.
0: That's going to be fascinating. I can't wait. For season six, I am studying change, specifically a change in life values. So I'll be digging all into the life values. So don't worry, we're going to cover it. I am obsessed with life values because they are the representation of the universal human needs that stories are all about. And they are for me, the foundation to understanding genre. Life values unlock how the patterns of story structure actually function. I began this study in Season 4 by examining my favorite kinds of stories, global internal genres, and then in Season 5 when I looked at stories that don't quite work. At this point, I feel pretty confident with what life values to communicate to my audience in a given genre and even where to communicate them across the story spine – but I'm on a quest to unlock how to communicate these life values. So many times, a writer will intend to demonstrate something to their audience, but it gets lost in translation. Either the information never makes it to the page, or it's delivered in a way that doesn't allow the audience to perceive it. I want to zoom in on specific moments in the story and unpack what is happening and how we know that's what's happening so that I can communicate the kinds of complex, authentic human experiences that my heart aches to tell to kick this off, I'm going to be looking at story beginnings, starting with what I think is the most underrated part of the story, the status quo. For me, this is an essential part of a story. It's where the initial state life values are established. It's where we're introduced to our protagonist, her world, and her specific situation. This status quo is established to lead us then to our first major event in the story, the inciting incident. By having a clear status quo, the life value shift that takes place in the inciting incident means more to the audience. There's a clear before and after. I want to look deeply into these elements and see the principles and specific tactics that are at play so that I can use them in my own original fiction. I am making the active effort to craft my own stories in 2020, and I can't wait to apply what I learn and share it with you. For my season six picks, we will be looking at books adapted to film. This is highly relevant for me, as I said, because I craft stories through both prose and film, so it's extremely important to me to understand the different methods that these mediums use to communicate life values. For my picks, we'll be watching the film and we'll also be examining the first 10% of the book at the line level, and I really can't wait to begin. The first story that I've decided to examine is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. You can download the free sample pages at Amazon, or better yet, you can read the whole novel along with me. And I know, Anne, you said you're going to be reading with me, so I'm really excited about that.
2: I am, and I'm listening to the audiobook, which is very, very well done.
0: Oh, that makes me so happy. I haven't started yet, so I have to get on it because we're going to be here before we know it. And then the film version is available to watch on Netflix. And this episode, which feels very appropriate because I feel like this story is an absolute gift, will air on Christmas Day. There you have it. The first four episodes of Season 6 are coming your way. We hope you'll dig in with us and challenge yourself in new ways as we change and grow and continue to level up our storytelling craft. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.
4: I did write a Fundamental Fridays post about the forces of antagonism a, a while ago, shortly after becoming certified. And my key takeaway <laughs> being certified, yes, I am certifiable. <laughs> Sorry.